who are you, you know, who is your audience and how are you going to engage them? Welcome to Mitten Money, delivering insights from Michigan-based business leaders, big and small. William Zank, host of Mitten Money at TriStar Trust, loves nothing more than creating this masterclass so that you can get insight to guide your leadership journey in just under 30 minutes. Subscribe today and connect with William at mittenmoney.com. So Jonathan, I'm sure that a lot of people are familiar with Michigan and American chillers like myself that you've written over the years. And so with that being said, how exactly did you become an author? Is that always a childhood expectation to be one of the best authors in the Midwest and America? (laughs) (laughs) That's a loaded question there. Well, I started, I think like a lot of people and a lot of situations, my dreams were kind of in a different area. I had had my heart set literally when I was probably in kindergarten, I wanted to get a job working outdoors in the conservation field. And I love to read and I love to write stories. But when I was growing up, I guess I never really just thought of myself as writing books. I would read books, get done with them. And I think, man, I wish I could write a story like that. But it just seemed like such a daunting task. You know, when you finish something, especially my junior high and high school years, when I began to read some real heavy, meaty type books, the idea of me actually writing a novel, I just never really thought of. But I started going to college. First of all, I didn't really apply myself and I quickly kind of ran out of money and I wound up getting a job working at a local radio station for that. I mean, I made a ton of money. Minimum wage was $3.35 an hour. So I was really rolling in the dough. But the important thing is that I fell in love with it, but I fell in love with making radio commercials. And later on, I found out that that was one of the reasons, the big reason why I was hired was because I could read well and I could write well and I could speak well. So I really enjoyed the aspect of sitting down in this room all by myself and creating not really necessarily commercials, but almost stories. I'd create kind of visual, funny, humorous, goofy, off the wall, and my commercials would tell a story. And I wound up doing that for a number of years. In fact, I left the airwaves. I was working at a classic rock station and up until... 1995, when I left the airwaves, I built a studio in my cottage. I moved up to Sheboygan County in Michigan, and I was sending my commercials all across the country. And that was when I continued reading, I'd finish books, and I would think, you know, or I'd get an idea, and I'd think, well, you know, somebody should write a story about that, or, oh, there's a good idea for a book. And finally, it was, I was just like, okay, I'm going to try this. It's a good idea, and I'll give it a shot. And really, that's how it got started right back in that first novel when I started in 1995. Yeah, what I always find so inspiring is just the inspiration and almost inception story behind so many great people and authors like yourself. So I appreciate you being able to dive in, especially to such great depth too. I mean, be able to go think about in a past life, being on the radio and also being so successful within pivoting into writing books. And so when you first initially started to write, I mean, did you have ever a plan to release all the books you did? I mean, what was that thought process or research you did before you really released that first book and went into the deep end? I had started the first, I wrote an adult novel called The Laurentian Channel, and it was kind of a shipwreck diving murder mystery that was based in the Straits of Mackinac. And it was picked up by a regional publisher. And while I was watching what was going on, not only with my book, but with other books and reading about the publishing industry, I really got kind of a, not a bad taste in my mouth for it, but I just really wasn't all that impressed with the industry as a whole. And While I was waiting for the process of that book to go through the whole publishing process, I wrote and narrated an audio book called St. Helene. And it's it's an island that is west of the Mackinac Bridge. And there's an old lighthouse there. And so this story is based on that actual place, but it's a fictional story about essentially a haunted lighthouse. 
And I wrote it, produced it, narrated, did everything and released it, self-published it in 1997. Actually, it came out in 1998. I incorporated a company called Audiocraft Publishing in 1997. And I thought, you know, this is kind of cool. This is really where I want to go. I, I like the audio aspect of it. I like the storytelling and I enjoy recording and such. And that came out in 1998 as uh, two cassettes. Remember those? It was really successful regionally. I mean, it wasn't just this thing that really took off on a huge level nationally, but regionally it did really well. And I got a lot of people over the course of the summer bookstores and such that said, hey, you know, we had a lot of people that came in and they picked up your audiobook and they wondered if there was a paperback version and there wasn't. What I did is I kind of just saved money. And in 1999, I published it, self-published it as a novel, along with another book that I wrote about a giant muscalunge that lives in Mullet Lake and eats people, kind of like a freshwater Jaws. And it was, I mean, the book was just a riot to write. It was a lot of fun. And the fictitious town that is in that book is called Courville, C-O-U-R-V-I-L-L-E. And I've been thinking about... I wanted to come up with a metaphor, like if you took everything about Northern Michigan and Michigan in general, you know, you took the clean air and the fresh water and the beautiful forest land, and you put all of that in a bottle and you sold it as a beverage, what would you call it? Well, in the book, what I settled for was what I called a Courville cooler. But one of the titles, one of the names that I came up with was a Michigan chiller. And that just stuck with me all summer long. And I kept thinking about that. And I was like, you know, it sounds like a series of kids' books. And I went back through some of my boxes of stories that I read, the scary books that I read when I was growing up. And of course, at that time, too, there's other series. There's Goosebumps that were popular and Animorphs. And this whole idea of this Michigan Chillers wouldn't leave my head. And finally, I was like, I'm going to try this. I can base these on cities and towns around Michigan. The first one was Mayhem on Mackinac Island. And it took off from there. kind of had a, a life of its own. Yeah, I can imagine from a regional perspective, too, being able to be a resident within that town, I think would also attract just a lot of people, a lot of people with an interest, you know, not only to the book, but for something in the backyard to I mean, how often just for whether you're mentioning Mackinac Island or specifically Mullet Lake, I mean, how often do you have a book written in your backyard that's also pretty popular to go read? I mean, for sure. I mean, there's going to be a lot of history and historical books out there, but something to such great depth too. I can imagine that for yourself when you're releasing these new books, the marketing I shouldn't say it's easy. Nothing is ever easy in life, but I can imagine just the regionalism definitely helped out with the marketing of the book. Yeah, it does. And what I did, especially with a book like Ferocity, which takes place on Mullet Lake, I created this kind of a fictitious town, a fictitious community. But there were a lot of people that were kind of reading between the lines where they probably shouldn't have. But that was kind of my fault, I think. I really didn't write about any local characters. I tried to certainly pick the color and the flavor of the community, but I didn't really take anybody in particular and put them in the stories. And with the Michigan Chillers, what I wanted to do is I really wanted the stories to be about the story. I didn't really want it to be a history lesson about the community, but I thought I could bring in some of the local landmarks and some of the local feel so that if somebody was from that town or city, or maybe they visited, or maybe they lived there, they would know places and local locations that I was talking about. That really does help, especially with my adult fiction. I get a lot of people that really enjoy reading about some of the local color and the local flavor. Sure, I can definitely see that. And so in doing research for the podcast, Jonathan, I've seen sold over 7 million books, which is insane to go think about across 120 different titles. And so something that you mentioned earlier that I think is pretty cool is that you initially decided to continue to go self-publish many of your earlier books. And I believe you continue to self-publish to this day. And so 
for a new author out there for self-publishing, do you still see that opportunity going forward? Obviously, things and trends and industries can change over time from when you first initially self-published and now you have this gathering, this following and a pretty big size fan base. Would you recommend for a lot of new authors to go test the water to do the same thing now? I do. It's the opportunities. There's just so many varying opportunities for people who are creative and people who are imaginative. One of the things that I always caution everybody, because I do talk to a lot of people that get great ideas for stories, especially kids. And I love talking to kids about their story ideas because they're just full of excitement and exuberance. And one of the things that I really am quick to point out is that it's fun when you can engage your imagination, but there is a lot of work involved. And a lot of people aren't prepared, especially authors that older kids, young adults, they get their money together, they publish their books, and they think that, you know, they've got 500 books in their basement. Where are all my customers? And they didn't really think about the marketing. They didn't really think about how they were going to get their word out there. That to me is good news because I look at it and I talk to people and I say, okay, well, what is it that you want to write and who is your market? And let's plan on that first. So let's leave your story alone and let's think about, okay, six months down the road, you've got this great book in your hand. Who is your audience and how are you going to engage them? How are you going to get those books in front of them? And lots of people think, well, I'm just going to put it up on Amazon or it's going to be here. And my answer is, yeah, you and millions of other people, how are you going to rise above all these millions of people and get noticed? So what I try to show people is say, take a look at what you have and what can you do in your backyard? Can you go and do a presentation at your local library? Can you do it at a local bookstore? Can you do it at your local church or expand and continue to go around and do libraries around the state, around the region? And that's one of the things that I really caution people is that even before you get your book done, always start thinking about how you're going to market this book. How are you going to get it out there in front of your potential customers? Sure. I could definitely see that. You know, if not, I can imagine there'd be a lot of free books in someone's basement or garage lingering around for a little bit. So I can definitely see that. And so something else that I thought was really intriguing, you know, in doing research for this is the Chiller Mania store that you opened up in a 2005. And so what made you interested in opening the retail store and corporate office? I mean, I know for a lot of authors, they're happy just to have their own books in their bookstore, whether it's a big corporate bookstore, or maybe some local, more independent ones. Sometimes authors more typically work out of the house. And so what was the inspiration behind that? A couple of different reasons. It was pretty fun because we live in a small community, my wife and I, and, and we've got our two dogs now, but I think that we had three dogs at the time. It was fun because the books by the time 2004 had rolled around, the American Chillers was out, Freddie for Nortner, Fearless First Grader, who had just been released. And they just really become phenomenally successful, thankfully. I mean, it was a great problem to have with all these people coming to our community to look for our house, thinking that... We had books for sale with a cash register on the kitchen counter. So we were expanding at the time and I had more and more books. We were still doing this. It was self-published, but it was under the umbrella, of course, uh, with the company that we still operate, Audiocraft Publishing. And I thought, well, if we're going to expand and I need a place for my manager and my tech guy and salespeople and all this, why don't we do something that's close to I-75? I mean, I-75 comes right up through our area, splits Burt Lake to the west, Mullet Lake to the east. And it's a high traffic area in the summertime, especially people going up north to Mackinac and and to the Upper Peninsula. So I thought, you know, if we could find a place that was close to that, that might work. There was a used car dealership owned by a great guy. His name was Chuck Stoika. And I think he's passed away just a couple of years ago. But 
I would see this guy sitting in front of it and he'd be out there smoking a cigarette, drinking a Coca-Cola, and he'd have a few used cars out there. And we struck up a conversation over the course of the summer. And this was, I think, 2004. Kind of worked the deal out and then built the store. I think we opened, it was in 2005 when we opened the store. By then, I'd been doing a lot of speaking at schools. I still do. And that's one of the ways I was able to actually promote the store was when kids ordered books at the schools or even through bookstores, we would include a bookmark that would have information about Chillermania. So it didn't take too long. Uh, Our first summer was pretty busy. And then from then on out from 2006 on from the summertime just gets really, really crazy, which is a lot of fun. We're here. In fact, I'm here. This is kind of like a little hidden office I've got in the back of Chillermania. But the store is just a ton of fun. I've got it all rigged up with snakes that might pop out and a spider that drops down from the ceiling. And the entertainment value for myself is well worth the time spent here. Let me tell you, it's a lot of fun. No, it's wonderful to hear. And I'm sure that a lot of guests over the years can probably echo the same sentiment. And so with that being said, I would love to move along to our lightning round of questions. So Jonathan, what would you say is your most important daily habit? First thing I do is I focus on, and it's going to sound really selfish, but it is, it's true. I focus on me and what I need to get done. And when I say that, because I get up really early, my schedule has kind of morphed into a very, very comfortable early morning. And when I say early morning, like this morning was 1.30. And that's typically when I get up. And then I caution people and say, don't be that impressed because I usually go to bed right around seven o'clock. So it's not that big of a deal. But that's important to me. And I do that every day. I mean, literally seven days a week. Sundays, I might sleep into about three or so. But I do that because it's a time of the day where I really remain focused. I really remain disciplined. I'm not checking messages. The phone is not ringing. I might check email. I might do some social media. I do a lot of work with an animal shelter. So I do some updates with that. But primarily, that's my creative time to really kind of get focused on my writing, things that need to get done for the day. Because I know that just from experience, even years ago, after nine o'clock, 10 o'clock rolls around, there's just so many things going on. In the summertime, we've got, for instance, today we've got a school tour bus that's going to be coming to Chillermania with dozens of kids, and that's going to be a lot of fun. But then there'll be families throughout the day. In the fall and the winter, when I'm traveling a lot, I might have two or three speaking engagements during the day. And then by the time I get to my hotel, The last thing I want to do is work on a novel or work on a story or something like that. I just know by experience that I won't do that. So that is probably, to answer your question directly, the first thing that I do is the most important thing is to get into that habit of, and I would just say it's about two hour works window for me where it's just hyper focus, just me my coffee and my computer and just work at what it is that I need and get the job done. That's really interesting. I thought my wake up time of 3.30 or 3.45 was impressive. But one thirty, hey, if it works for you, that's fantastic. And so moving along to my next question, what's your favorite TV or streaming show that you're currently watching or have recently? I mean, it's tough because I haven't been watching a lot of television. I'm not watching anything from a streaming aspect. I don't think I have an answer for you because right now I'm kind of in the midst of different things right now. I've been more of in this summer preparation, so I don't really have an answer for you on that one. If I were to go ask you a book, would that hopefully change? Oh yeah, there you go. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I read several books at a time and I've got two going right now. One is called Influencer. It's a great book by several different authors on the power of making a difference, on the power of using 
the resources that you have to make differences in your life and in others. And the book that I'm really anxious to start, and I don't even have it yet. I ordered it the other day. It's called The Fan. And it was written by a man, a guy by the name of Richard something or other back in the 1970s, but it was recommended to me by a friend and that should be here today. So I'm looking forward to getting into that. Definitely. They both sound like really good books. I'm going to have to add them to my own book list. And so last question for you for the lightning round question. So if you can be remembered for just one thing, what would it be? I would have to say probably someone who had fun making a difference with imagination and creativity. The longer I live and the more fun that I have, the more important it is. I start to think about my legacy. I start to think about what it is that I'm leaving for others. And I'd certainly like to think that I'm leaving the world a better place. And I see authors like Ray Bradbury, who passed away in 2012, and the impact that he had on my life. And I think I would really be honored to even have just an inkling of that kind of thought after I'm gone. That's very, very well said. So for those who want to learn about yourself, what are some good resources for the listeners out there? You can start, just go to AmericanChillers.com. That's got quite a bit of information as regarding the books that I write and some biographical information. I'm on Facebook at American Chillers, Chiller Mania, and of course, Jonathan Rand as well. I tend to do a lot of tongue-in-cheek type humor on my own Facebook, so it's fun. Well, thank you, Jonathan, and thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Mint Money. Please don't forget to follow our podcast so you don't miss when episodes drop. Thanks, Jonathan. You bet. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Mitten Money, sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at TriStarTrust.com. Dot com.